That's right, y'all. Welcome to the Journey to Develop Her podcast. Let's go. This podcast equips you with the real estate and wealth strategies you can use to develop and enhance your skills, experience, and profits in real estate. While also being healthy on the inside and the outside. You ready? We are showcasing some of the world's greatest male and female real estate developers and entrepreneurs. Now it's time to develop. Here's your host, real estate developing queen, Deontay Chantel. Let's go. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Journey to Developer podcast. It's Deontay Chantel, your host. And today we have a special guest. Ms. Shaniqua Nicole, how are you today? Hey, Queen. I'm amazing. How are you? I am well. I am well. And I meant to say Shaniqua Nicole, aka Money Maven. We're going to talk about all about her brand, all about her community, and a few. Um, I wanted to have you on a podcast because I feel like our missions were greatly aligned. We're all about uplifting our communities. It seems like pouring back into our communities, making sure our people are getting the financial literacy that they need um, once they even obtain the wealth. But you and I, I believe we both teach each our people, excuse me, you and I teach our people to build wealth as well. So that, that's amazing. So kudos to you. Thank you so much. All right. So Shaniqua Nicole is a serial entrepreneur, real estate investor, and a financial literacy coach. She has her own group called the Money Maven Club. So we're going to talk about that in further detail in a few. But Shaniqua, I want to talk about your upbringing. How, what was your first perception of wealth uh, growing up as a kid? First of all, Deontay, I want to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate you even, you know, thinking of me to share my little story because I'm super new in this space of real estate development, but it's been something that I wanted to do for a long time, but a little bit about my upbringing. So I am the oldest of eight siblings, two teenage parents, and my first thoughts of wealth, let's see, that's an interesting question. So I grew up very, I mean, you know, I don't want to say poor, but you know, to be honest, that's what it was, right? I'm from the projects in Trenton, New Jersey. Um, And I have teenage parents. My mom had me when she was 16. My dad was 17. But thank God for the village, right? Uh, Because my grandmothers were heavily involved in my upbringing. And to be honest, wealth wasn't around me, right? Uh, But I never, I didn't grow up in a lack environment, right? So like, you know, We always had what we wanted, what we needed, and way more than we should have had, right? And, you know, we're kind of spoiled in that way. So although we might not, you know, from a fiscally perspective, we weren't wealthy or we weren't rich, Mm -hmm. um, we were rich in love. You know, I had a lot of family around, always had a bunch of cousins around. So we lacked nothing. You know what I'm saying? Had a very normal childhood no trauma. Um, But when it comes to money, that just, you know, we weren't rich. Let's just say that. But money was always flowing. So my mom and my dad, they were teenagers. So they were young, energized, and they were both hustlers. My dad used to sell clothes when I was very young. My mom used to sell, you know, anything that that she found um, interesting. I'll tell you uh, one one funny story. My mom always says that Build-A-Bear stole her idea. So, (laughs) oh man, we could have been billionaires right now. Listen, we could have been billionaires and this is why execution is so important. So that's why I always tell my community outside of the inspiration that I bring, outside of the strategies that I bring, you have to execute, right? Because the difference between you and your next billion dollars is the execution, right? right? So my mom used to sell... Um, you know, clothes, all kind of things, but she used to she used to make these little bears. So she would get these bears from New York City, China, Chinatown in New York. And okay. Fourth of July, she would decorate it with like a flag and um chocolates, or you know, Valentine's Day, she put together little baskets with the bear. And mm-hmm. then here, here we come. Uh now you have Build-A-Bear, who's a multi-billion dollar company, right? So definitely um, still her idea. <laughs> 
Yeah, because right. yeah, your mom, yeah, we needed your mom to have her own. <laughs> listen, mm-hmm. listen. And, and, and it's even I still tell her today, um, because she she'll she she's uh mentioned to me before that she has a um a notebook full of ideas. And I'm like, well, you can't die with those ideas. Yeah, you have to share them with somebody. You know, if I'm the executioner in a family. Let me know so we can put the things in, 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 you know, in place to bring right. some of these ideas to fruition. But yeah, so, you know, while, while we weren't rich in money, we were definitely rich in like uh, love and family and support and morals and all that kind of stuff and community, mm-hmm. right. uh, most importantly. So I would say the first time I actually saw like rich people, it was probably, you know, I feel like this is one thing that's different about uh, growing up in the North versus the South there there were a lot of white people around you know so mm. we would go to the white neighborhoods to go trick-or-treating because they had better candy and you know <laughs> what I'm saying and it just is what it is right so my first thoughts of wealth were white people but I never felt like I was poor I never felt like or thought that I was poor um but yeah we would typically see that in neighborhoods that didn't look like ours and so that's that that's what fuels me today um, is to let people know, like, you know, this is for you. This is for us, right? This is our God-given right um, to abundance. You know what I'm Amen. saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that part. Um, I think, I mean, and I'm not going to say we have similar backgrounds, but I grew up in an urban city. Of, well, when Brooklyn was an urban city, because Brooklyn is no longer um, considered. Brooklyn has changed. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be rich to live in Brooklyn. But I grew up in Brooklyn when it was when it was really okay, Crooklyn, we'll call it. Um, but in the you know, late 80s, I was born. Um, I actually moved to Newark, New Jersey at like 13. So I grew up, yeah, Newark was Newark, it's still Newark. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? Still by Newark. That. I actually have a lot of family in North Jersey. We would go to oh. Newark all the time. My mom, like I said, she would go to New York and Newark and, you know, get mm-hmm. her wholesale stuff to come back to the to the city and, and sell her stuff. My dad was doing, you know, doing the same thing. And right. even my grandparents were not my grandmother. She was the safer one. And she right. was the one that helped me be grounded. Um, but my my mom's parents, they were hustlers, too. You know, my even even my grandparents, my great grandparents they were also hustlers, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, you know, what I do is kind of in my blood and in my spirit, you know, um, but it was really okay. the pushing from my parents that wanted me to go to college and, you know, do things the right way. <laughs> That's, I mean, thank God for grandparents. And I grew up with a mom, I have, my mother had me at 20, so she's probably a little older than your parents, but natural born hustler, like to this day, just a hustler. Father, same thing. He's a Jamaican um that moved over to the U.S. at some point, but straight hustler. He's actually, literally, five jobs. But right. what I can say about him, and I'm probably gonna have him on the podcast because he was a real estate investor. Okay. Um, but he, you know, he didn't raise me. I, I love him regardless. Um, he didn't raise me, so it wasn't like I learned real estate from him. So for me to end up in real estate was really nothing but God. And, um, but I bring all that up because although we probably, you know, felt rich in love, I'm, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth, but my mother always made sure I had my family, my grandmother and my mom always made sure I had, even my grandfather. Um, but we was definitely not rich. I didn't understand money, credit, any of those things <laughs> until I became um, an adult. Maybe, you know, when I went to try to get my first car, right? Um, but I can't say I, I was blessed. Because at 19, I was making like 50000 a year. So I can't say God always like blessed Oh, look at us. We, we definitely have similar stories. So that was the same yeah. for me. Um, I'll say when I was about 17, um, I, I've been working since I was 15. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got to get I got to get the working papers and my mom signed up, sign off on them. So I right. could go and get me a little job after school or in the summer times I was working on the ice cream truck. So I've been working um, since I could work. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was 17, I remember my mom sitting me down. I had a job at the time and I wanted to get a car. But I remember her sitting me down with the insurance guy. So my mom actually, you know, even though she was a young parent, she wasn't irresponsible. She used to work right. really great jobs. She was also working on Wall Street. Um, right. She actually used to travel into uh, the World Trade Center before 9-11. Mm-hmm. 
And, um, you know, so I was a little privy to some things, you know, not everything because that was her job, not mine. But when I was around 17 years old, she sat me down with the insurance guy and made me listen to his spiel and understand how the policy worked. And she made me pay for my own life insurance policy at 17. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I I think that's good. That's actually, well, she should have probably paid for it. But I I think that's pretty good that, she introduced that at such an early age because I didn't even get my policy. I'm trying to think. I got mine probably at 19 when I worked at a corporate AT&T job. Like right. Mother, like, I didn't, I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't know what life insurance was because I did. My grandmother had died a few years before that. So we, I knew what it was, but yeah. my mother, yeah, thank God that never happened to me. <laughs> but, um, you the so one thing that it did for me was so at the time what what I know now being in the business it was mm-hmm. an index universal life policy right and right. so he was telling me all these features about this policy mind you I'm 17 years old I'm like where when can I leave you know right. but it was so interesting to me the concept of how the rich use these policies and if you fund it this way by the time you're 30 years old you'll have this amount of money in there so I will say this, um, I actually had that policy until I moved here to Atlanta. So I had been paying paying on it all that time. I've only been in Atlanta for, um, so I bought my house here in 2014 and mm-hmm. I had it from 20, I don't know, I don't know when, you know, probably from like 2004, I might've had it. So I oh, had wow. it for like 10 years and I was just paying on it. It was just something that, you know, my, it was a bill I had to pay. I was already paying myself on bill. You know, I'm mm-hmm. the oldest, right? So me and my mom kind of grew up together. So I always yeah. had, you know, I was always um, open to take on responsibility. And by the time I moved to Atlanta, I had a nice cash value in there. So nice. I actually was able to take that money from the cash value in my policy. And that this is the first time I'm ever even telling this part of it because it just came to me now that we're talking about it that I cash out the cash value of my policy and use that as a deposit, you know, to help me close on my first home here in Atlanta. That's that's incredible. That's a good play that everyone should be implementing and using. I mean, so I'm glad you brought that up. Now, I know you to be a wealth strategist. Do you also do insurance policies or? Yeah, I do. Okay, okay, okay. So financial planning is also a part. So wealth strategy, wealth, you know, wealth looks different for everybody. So, um, you know, wealth planning, financial planning, um, life insurance, right? Whatever you want to call it, estate planning. It, 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 there are many different pillars, right? And Mm -hmm. life insurance is the very first, right? Because you're not, we're not working to build and buy all of these assets to die and then leave them to our children who now have to pay taxes on them and don't know where they're going to get the money from. Right. Exactly. What happens is a lot of people pass away and um, they have to pay estate taxes to pass this stuff on to their family. Yes. Well, guess do. what? If your family doesn't have the cash to pay, they have to liquidate the assets. So they have to now sell the family house to get the money to pay the state back to get the house to even sell. So right, right. And um, I don't know if you heard about the new laws that are being passed where you will have to pay uh taxes on and well, not well, we always paid for inheritance taxes. I'm trying to remember what it was. I used to be in a state paralegal, by the way. I okay. should know what I'm talking about. I should know what I'm talking about, but it's been some time. But they just passed a new law. I'm trying to remember what it was exactly, where it's um Let's say if grandma or your mom purchased the house for twenty thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and that was worth two million dollars, mm-hmm. you now have to pay a percentage to the government on the equity. Did you hear oh, about that? Oh, for sure. Capital gains. Yeah. 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 So um, that, that's, as soon as that's it passes. Exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's exactly it, right? And that's what a lot of people don't realize is that you know they think, okay, well, I'm leaving my children with the house, but it's all about how you're passing that house on right because mm-hmm. you're going to acquire it at a level and then when you pass it's going to be at another level and there's equity that you know that has a pre hopefully it's appreciated over that time right and what people don't realize is that 
the government wants their peace, right? And so you you have to pay taxes whenever you have some kind of taxable event. And unfortunately, uh, when when that passes hands from your your estate or yourself to your children, that is a taxable event. So that that's exactly you know what I was speaking of. And mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, people do find themselves in that situation where number one, they can't take out a mortgage on the property because they don't own it yet, right? Mm. Number two, they don't have access to the cash needed to, right. uh-oh. No, you good. Okay, there we go. They don't have access to the cash needed to um, to pay the government their portion. And sometimes they'll have to actually sell the property or maybe bring an outside investor to get money to pay the government off and then, you know, then work right. out some kind of to keep the property in the family. So what do you recommend? How should our people or anybody in general, how should they have their estate planning set up? Yeah, so um, when you have trust, uh, tr- you don't have to change ownership, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you got, I'm sure you and your audience have heard own nothing but control everything, mm-hmm. right? And the way that you do that safely um, to mitigate risk and to mitigate taxes is through estate planning. So one of the ways that I help my clients with estate planning is by developing a three-pronged system, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have three different trusts that are in place for all of your different assets. So you're going to have a trust, uh, you're going to have a living trust, right? That's going to be the one that um, you create while you're living and you can change it and all those kind of things. You're going to have a family trust and then you're going to have a business trust. Okay. Um, your business trust is going to hold, you know, most of, uh, it's going to be the owner of your businesses. Your family trust is going to be the owner of your assets. And so what happens, and then you make your, um, your beneficiaries to that trust, or you make your trustees beneficiaries, right? So when right. you, if, if, if your trust, right, don't forget your trust is almost a living, breathing entity in itself because it has, uh, is registered with the state, just like right. we are. We have birth certificates to our state that we're born in. And your trust has a, a certificate of existence in the state that it's born in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I.e. it's articles of incorporation. And it also has the EIN number, just like we have a social security number. Right. So your trust can have credit, your trust can own assets, your trust pays taxes. It is like another person. But the great thing about it is that when your trust owns your assets and you pass, it's not, your assets aren't changing hands and therefore doesn't incur a taxable event. So now your kids still get the benefit of having all the assets that you've been acquiring and they don't have to pay taxes on it because it doesn't have to go through the probate process. It just, you know, changes hands on doctor on paperwork pretty much. Right. And we, I mean, as many of you may know or may not know, and Shaniqua can attest to this, you can also do this with your other investments as well, such as your stocks, whatever you have that you want to pass on to your heirs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the easiest way to do that is to just make your trust the beneficiary of any kind of investment account that you have. Your trust can actually have its own investment account. So you can have a and uh, a brokerage account in the name of the trust. Yep, awesome. And I'm glad that we're having this conversation because, I mean, first of all, life insurance, Every even a baby needs life insurance. Um, I hate to say this, but we see too much dependency on crowdfunding a funeral. Of course, we yep. don't expect a baby to pass away, but GoFundMe, right? GoFundMe's are not, not life insurance, life. you know. So, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm gonna donate for a baby, though. I'm just saying, I will. But it's right, not a lot of people also don't even realize that GoFundMe's are taxable. Um, so wow. you're gonna get a 10.99, you know. So if someone donate, if you if you open up a GoFundMe and you receive fifty thousand dollars. IRS want their piece. And guess what? You're going to wow. take that $50,000 and use it on whatever you use it on. But the IRS still wants their piece. And you're going to get a 1099 you know, in your I name. I didn't know piece. that. Oh, yeah. Well, thank oh, God I never had to find out. Me. But yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, when you set up a GoFundMe, they ask for the beneficiary's name or an EIN number, social security number. Oh, yeah. Okay, everybody, y'all better hit up Shaniqua. 
and get your life insurance. <laughs> Wait, I mean, I used to ride motorcycles. So, oh wow, yeah, it was a point where I, when I did leave AT and T, and I started my paralegal job, and my job didn't have the great benefits as AT and T. So my mother was like, "You about to get on a motorcycle? You better get some life insurance." And I remember the policy just a 10 year term because I was what 22 23 was like $20 a month oh yeah just get something until you figure out what's the best option for you absolutely I mean and I would say so here's the thing about life insurance right people try to get life insurance when they need it and when it's too late mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, about it. <laughs> and at those times it's too late you know so the best time to get life insurance if you don't have any is today because you're the youngest you're going to be and you're probably the healthiest that you're going to be. And those are the two major factors that insurance companies use to grade you and charge you on, um, on your life insurance. So I would recommend if you're young enough to qualify for a 30 year term, that be the very minimum of coverage that you have. Number one, right? You had a you had a 10 year term, but let's say you got your 10 year term at 20 years old. Right. At 30 years old. <laughs> at 30 years old, you have no more insurance. Right. So what I had right? to do personally is um I had to get some new insurance. I think I got whole life. Yeah, it's whole life. And then get and then guess what? It's more expensive when you're 30 than when you're 20. It is. It's more expensive. And then they're checking to see if you're a smoker. They're looking at all kind of crap. Um, my oh, yeah. They look at your medications. Yeah, because they'll, they'll look, look at like, your you hospital smoke. stays, you know. Yep. Oh, Any yeah. little thing. If you smoke, if you had surgery, like you're yep. disqualified. Um, you know, one of my ex, he had a kidney transplant and he was disqualified. So, and he needs it. It happens. You know, so. It definitely happens. That's why I tell people, the best time to get it is today. You know, you're not going to get any younger, right? Age mm-hmm. is the number one factor in how much it's going to cost you. And, you know, God forbid you leave today and go and get in a car accident and you can't, you know, now you got to have a major surgery and you can't walk or you have a concussion or something. You're no longer coverable, right? So get Definitely. it while you can and while it's going to be the cheapest for you for sure. Awesome. Now, do you teach um, how to borrow from your, I guess it's a whole life insurance to invest? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah. So I actually, um, I have two ways that I love to use cash value insurance and there are different kinds of cash value insurances out there. Um, so you have your whole life, your universal life, index universal life. They all develop cash value. What that means is that you have a portion of your premium that you pay for insurance and you have a portion of your premium that goes into an investment account. So I like to use this, right? Like, you know, you'll, you'll, there are, there are a lot of financial professionals out there that are super rich and they have millions of dollars in the bank already. Right. But when you're coming from, when you're first generation and you're trying to figure things out and build this ladder up for your family, you have to start foundationally, right? Mm-hmm. While they're not out here, you know, you'll, you'll hear people say buy term and invest the difference. Yeah, I agree. That's cool for a foundation. Right. Buy term for your very foundation. That's the very minimum that you need. But when you want to talk about, um, Lord. That's a beautiful picture, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. When you, when you want to talk about, um, Lord, where was I going? Oh, buy term invested different. So when you want to talk about cash value and life insurance, mm-hmm. it's not going to be in the term policy, right? So the only policies that uh, generate cash value are like whole life, uh, universal life, index universal life, right? And so mm-hmm. you have a, what's essentially an investment account and your life insurance. And the great thing about having the investment account with your life insurance is that uh, typically there's going to be at least a guaranteed minimum that you mm-hmm. will accrue every single month or every year, depending on how they, you know, uh, um, add it to your account. But sometimes they're paying you dividends, and sometimes you're just, you know, you'll just get, uh, let's say, it's like a ten percent rate, right? right? Whatever the interest rate is. Um, but at the very minimum, though, you also have a floor. So people don't understand this, right? When you have hundred thousand dollars in the stock market and the stock market drops 50 percent. how much money do you have Fifty thousand. 
you're down to $50,000. If you have a $100,000 cash value in a life insurance policy and the market dropped 50%, typically Mm -hmm. you're going to have a minimum, a minimum growth of 2%, right? So even if the market is down 50%, your insurance company is still going to give you 2% interest on that hundred thousand. So now you have a hundred and two thousand and your best friend only has fifty thousand. Oh wow. Right. And then if the market, if the market does tank, whatever percentage, you're it, it you're you'll never feel that negative impact. So you'll always have that minimum um minimum cash value of a hundred thousand plus whatever that interest rate is. So um mm. you know Life insurance can be used for many different things. I don't talk about it a lot because, you know, people, I'm just not salesy. I'm very solutions oriented and I like to deal with people's whole wealth, you know, and and what their goals are. And typically that's like, um, it's either a starter conversation or it's really a um, strategic conversation where it's like, okay, now I have a lot of money. I need to figure out what to do with it. I want to diversify my assets what can we do here? Right. Yeah. And I've seen, like, I remember we had to do a trust back in the day. So this is why I'm not, not super fresh on it, but I mean, these people had $5 million policies and they were borrowing from $5 million policies. So they can pull out a bunch of money. Absolutely. (laughs) And it makes sense. If, 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 if you're following, if you guys ever have heard of infinite banking, or if you have Mm. not heard of infinite banking, you want to Google the term. So you, you've got your Walt Disney's, you've got Walmart, right? You've got all of these families that use these um, universal life policies and whole life cash value policies to build wealth and create an infinite banking system, right? So here's the play. The play is What's the play? you have your, <laughs> you have your hundred thousand dollars in your cash value. It can be a million dollars. So I have two strategies that I teach. One is for people with children. I call it the million dollar baby. And mm-hmm. it's if we start investing for your child in a universal life insurance policy before the age of two, by the time they're in, in their 20s, definitely by 30, they'll be millionaires, right? Okay. And you can invest a very, you know, I'm not going to call $100 small, but you can invest $100 a month. You invest $100 a month for your child before the age of two, up until they're 30 years old they're going to have a million dollars. If they leave that money in there by the time that they're 65 and they use it for retirement, they're going to have many millions, right? 15, right. $20 million. And this is cash value. So what can you do with the cash value in a life insurance policy? You can borrow from the policy and people don't really understand this concept. They're like, why would I borrow my own money? It's my money, you know, but the reason that you borrow, this is this is tax strategy stuff. So this is my favorite kind of stuff to do. Um, but the reason that you borrow from your life insurance policy opposed to what I did when I was, you know, buying my house, I cashed out my policy. So when mm-hmm. I cashed out my policy and got my cash, I no longer had life insurance anymore. And then I had to then go and buy life insurance 10 years later, 10 years older. So I did the same thing mm-hmm. as you. Um, but you know, it was still fairly cheap, but I could have, what I could have done, you know, had I known then what I know now, you can borrow from the policy and keep your life, your death benefit, right? So let's say you got a hundred thousand dollar cash, cash value in your policy, um, or you did this for your children and now your child is 30 years old. They're ready to get married, start a family. Let's say they have a million dollars cash value in their policy. Um, they can take out $500,000 and buy a house. Right. They don't have to pay any taxes on that money. There's no taxable event that's created. They can take out $300,000 and invest in their business, right? They can take Mm out $800,000 and do whatever they want with it, right? You continue to pay those premiums going forward, but you borrow from the policy because a loan is not income. Right. Now I have right? a question. Sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. How long, <laughs> how long before they can start borrowing the money? So we're talking about what, at least five to 10 years of making payments? No, no ma'am, not at all. Um, so it, depending on what kind of policy you have, mm-hmm. um, but normally I, I, have, I have companies that I work with, you know, you can start borrowing 
once the check clears, you can borrow. So you can put the money in and you can borrow from your policy, borrow from that cash value. And the reason that you do that, like I said, is because borrowed funds are not taxable. When you get a loan from the bank, that money doesn't go on your tax return. So it's the same concept. So that money's not taxable. And if you borrow the $100,000 and you die tomorrow, guess what? It, you still have life insurance. Right. Okay. So, so every everybody has to go see Shanique. Shanique, are you about to just be a part of like everything I do now? Because oh. a lot of <laughs> a lot of um, insurance brokers or whatever they call themselves, they don't yeah. offer that. They, you know, I've heard a lot of craziness. I, I know it could be done because I've seen it done. I've done the legal documents for the multi million dollar policies, but these people I've been coming across, like the person that signed me up for life insurance. Now I met her through referral, but she's not talking the sauce that she's talking right now. Right. She's talking something else. So I, like, I know it can be thing. done. Here's the thing about life insurance agents, right? They're just like real estate agents. You know, we don't get paid unless we sell a policy. But um, I don't, I, I operate in God's world of abundance. And oh, like I said, right. you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't consider myself a life insurance agent. I'm a planner. So right. I work as a fiduciary for my clients. And I do what's best on your behalf, right? So the way that you have to structure this policy for the client, insurance act agents actually get paid less money on that. But yeah, we were talking about insurance agents not offering that service because they're not going to make money um, on those type of insurance policies, which I, like I said, I knew it could be done. I just knew she couldn't do it for me. So um, we'll definitely strategize and figure out a way um, like I do a lot of personal, well, I'm, I'm not doing as much personal coaching as I was before, but definitely will be referring you because you can get the job done. Okay. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yes. You know, um, but let's talk about your elevating from the corporate ladder to, well, tell us all right, your journey. So you went from corporate to insurance or that, the corporate no, insurance? Okay. Yeah. So I uh, started my corporate journey at Merrill Lynch when I was 19, oh. just like you. I so, actually applied and got hired there. <laughs> yeah. So I started my corporate journey awesome. when I was 19 at Merrill awesome. and I was going to school for finance, going to college for finance. So it was like, yeah, you know, like I made it. This is what I'm doing with my life. Right. I'm on the right mm -hmm. path. But, um, and then the recession hit. So okay. Then the housing market burst and so many people got laid off, right? And so that gave me my taste of real life. But I didn't get fired. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't get fired because I was young and I was cheap labor and I was working hard, you know, like I'm a, I was young, I was energetic. So I know now that they kept me because I was probably cheaper than the people that were more tenured. And mm -hmm. I was willing to do more just because I was fresh and I didn't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. And I was young and I was creative. And, you know, I had helped them save um, over $150,000 on a project that we were working on in my team. And they were paying me $50,000, right? Or maybe even less than 19. But um, so, yes, I, I, I worked for Merrill Lynch for a minute. Um, left them, went to another investment consulting firm. And um, actually when I was in, when I worked for Merrill, um, you know, the money I was making was great. But when I looked around to my left and my right, I looked at my employees who had full-blown families and I just couldn't really understand how they were making a living off of that income. So yeah. I started a little side hustle. <laughs> so at that time I started my little side hustle of a tax business. Okay. And I mean, now we're 15 years later and this little side hustle has grown into, you know, really a love of taxes and strategy and a full-blown accounting firm and investment management firm. So that's what I currently do full-time. Wait, I didn't know you did taxes either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So she's just like a plethora of wealth knowledge. And you gotta, yes, you gotta I literally, you, gotta you know, I, I know that my, my gift is helping people understand this whole universe of finances, right? Because there's so right. many different, yeah. um, so many different, you know, avenues and all kinds of things that, you know, you, you don't even talk about. So it's always fascinated me. 
um, finance just always fascinated me. And that's kind of how my uh, corporate career evolved. And then eventually I got to the point where I, I had hundreds of clients and, you know, tax season was great because, and because it was just a four month period. So yeah. I do my taxes and I was still working my corporate job, but um, it eventually got to the point where I was just like, like my job was in the way. Right. Because the only way that I could grow my business, you know, at that time, what I thought was by having more and more clients. And it really was, you know, my job was in the way of that growth. My job was in the way of training someone to help them help me grow. Mm. Um, So, you know, I, I had to quit the job before the job quit me and uh, left corporate and have been on my own for five, about five years now. And it's been, you know, it's been, it's been super, sorry about that. It's been super amazing. Um, but when I left corporate, uh, what I also left was that good check that came every two weeks and, you know, and, and something I had come accustomed to for over 15 years. And so that's what, uh, actually, uh, 12 years, 10, 12 years is my corporate career, but that's what the job and the corporation and, you know, that's what our economy wants you to do is get comfortable accepting these little paychecks that you get. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and so what I decided was that I needed to find, you know, also had a little bit of money. I've always been a little saver. So had my little, you know, nest egg that I had been saving also had some retirement Mm -hmm. money as well. So when I left corporate America, and I, I had a business, right? I had like a thriving business where I was making six figures in my business. So my, you know, I left my six figure income at the, at the job. And my first goal was to replace my corporate income. So it's like, okay, it's go time. Right. You know, what are we going to do? Um, so we're going to get more clients, more clients, more clients. That just totally burnt me out. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is in my first year of business, super burnt out, hundreds of clients, over like 250 clients I had. And what I decided was that I wanted to create the stream, just like I used to get from my corporate career. I need to create that in my own life. Mm -hmm. And so that's what made real estate kind of interesting for me because I had a little bit of money saved and I'm like, okay, well, if I put some, if I buy a property, then I could have, you know, a little rent coming in every month. And, oh, if I get three thousand dollars in rent coming in every month we can cover this bill that bill this bill you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so that was very attractive to me and that's how i first even had the thought of investing in real estate awesome so wow you're just amazing No, seriously. Um, and, and you're super blessed too, because a lot of people can't say that they, they quit their corporate job and then they had so many clients that they couldn't even handle the clients. Normally they're struggling to find clients. So, but like you right. said, you, you started the side hustle while yeah, my, my side hustle in the was 10 years in. Right. right. I was 10 years oh, in on so the you, side you. hustle and working on my, you know, I was working my business and the job. And that's the thing, you know, People mm-hmm. see this internet stuff, right? These digital marketers out here selling, you know, what they call it, uh, Twitter LLC. Girl. People see Twitter LLC telling people, oh, start your business, start your business. Listen, I had a six-figure business and I had a six-figure side hustle, okay? And right. that allowed me to be able to save money and put myself in position so that when I was ready to make the jump, it made the transition a whole lot more easy. Another thing that I help my clients do is uncover their emotional attachment to money, right? And Mm -hmm. when you leave a job and you are scrambling for clients, scrambling to make money, you're willing to accept any and everything. Mm -hmm. And that was never, you know, like I said, I never operate from a a, a space of lack. So, you know, I, I, I knew that I couldn't operate that way when I left my job. Um, money is like the last thing I want to worry about, you know? So like even my bills, I've always tried to keep my bills on auto pay or prepay them in some kind of way, Mm -hmm. because I feel like when you can focus your energy on, um, higher frequency tasks, Mm -hmm. such as creating, such as, you know, being of value to people, when you can focus your energy on those things, that's when you're able to receive you know, the abundance and the blessings that we keep talking about. Amen. That's so true. A lot of people don't realize that they have to, very 
shortly after quitting their nine to five. They actually still have to do those 40 hours and sometimes 80 hours oh. to get that business. <laughs> Listen, people, business people leave 40, entrepreneurs are crazy, right? Because we leave our 40 hour work week job to go and work 80 hours for ourselves or a hundred hours. Um, be, yes. So here's the thing, my <laughs> husband tells me, you can't turn your brain off. Mm. You know, and even as a you know, even as an entrepreneur with a small team, it's just like okay, I need to, I need this person, I need that person. I, you know, what's next? You know, what I'm saying I'm a creator, and um, now this space that I, I I I'm in now, I'm I feel like I'm an investor too. So it's like whenever I have some kind of um, so the book written by uh, Damon John, I love the power of broke. Okay, um, and I, I, love I love this book. Yes, I love the concept because it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take what I have and invest it all. And now mm-hmm. I'm back to zero. And I'm, so I'm still out here hustling. Like I have nothing, you know, I'm still out here working. Yeah. Yep. That's the best still way. Out here working. Like we're back to zero. Um, yeah, that, that's just kind of how I operate. But so, um, back to real estate had yes. a little money, you know, my issue with real estate, the reason I hadn't invested in real estate earlier was that I, I mean, we're both from New Jersey and, you know, it's expensive to get into real estate, even if you want something crappy, you know, and years ago you were spending at least $150,000. So I was looking at doing it, but then the um, taxes were like 13,000 for the year. That's the main problem right there, the tax. "Hmm." (laughs) Those taxes are nuts. Now those houses that were 150, they're 300 to 400,000 in the tax. Oh, yeah, easy. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. Easily. So let me tell you, like I have struggled with investing in real estate for years because it's so capital intense. Yeah. And so I, and, and I know that I'm just like, okay, if I buy $250,000 house, I need 20% down. That's 50,000. I can take, and, and so I'm going to invest 50,000 and get, you know, maybe $500 a month cash flow. I'd rather risk the 50,000 investing in a new business. And so that's another mm-hmm. thing that I do. I invest in businesses. I invest in the stock market, right? So I, I spread my money all around. It's right. all at different risk levels. Um, but I love, I do like, I have a new love for real estate and I'm, I'm learning to uh, get more comfortable with financing and debt and stuff like that. Yeah. Initially, initially I'm just like, okay, well, I have this little bit of money. So I had about 50,000, right? And I, I wanted to get into real estate with this 50,000, but I just wasn't ready to take on a more, another bill, you right. know? So I didn't want to get a mortgage. Mm-hmm. I was fresh out of um, corporate and I was losing, you know, my six figure salary. So that was scary. Right. And I'm like, you know, I just want to start creating something so it can give me something extra every month that I don't have to worry about but I didn't want to have bills to come with it just because my mindset wasn't ready to take on that and, you know, adding that into the cash flow management and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh-huh. So I was trying to figure out what, where can I get a house for under $50,000? Oh yeah. That, I mean, that's the key. Finding the, the very low affordable homes. Right. So where did you wind up selecting this affordable house <laughs> we like to yeah so my first property my first investment property i bought was in detroit okay and awesome. i'm gonna be i'm gonna be 100 honest with you guys what happened <laughs> the read the uh, the number one reason that i even was like privy to the detroit market is social media oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. so like you know i follow a lot of investment people mm-hmm. and um, I had some people that I followed and respected on social media and they were investing in Detroit and they're like, oh, you could come to Detroit and get a property for a thousand dollars. Yeah. You used to be able to. Yeah. You used you, to. Yeah. You not no more. To. I mean, right. if you have some political connects, you might be able to get Absolutely. it for 2000. Right. You get the land bank houses for a thousand dollars, but they're, they're burnouts, you know, they yeah. got to be totally rebuilt, you know, from the ground up. But I, I decided on Detroit. And, you know, I was trying to find people, mind you, I, I had never been to Detroit. I don't know anyone there, mm-hmm. but I was like, this will be doing. Right. <laughs> no, and that's what you got to do. I did the same thing. Um, I went all the way out to Kansas City, Missouri. You just went there? Well, someone was like, I'm telling you, you need to be here. I was like, all right. right. He was a business advisor. He actually um, helped me start my real estate development 
switch from being an investor. And he was he was living in Kansas City, Missouri at some point. And he was just explaining the market. I'm like, this sounds like yeah. Newark. It's Before a very Newark, similar Newark. market to Detroit, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not anymore. Now it's more high end. So after they won that Super Bowl, it was over. Oh. I literally gained like $80,000 in equity right after that Super Bowl. And it was COVID wow. too, but it was just went pew, like <laughs> in a number amazing. of months. Um, but you have to take that leap of faith. As long as yeah. you know how to evaluate your numbers and the, the rents, the cash flow makes sense. Right. Definitely right. put, I mean, I literally invested it was like $8,000. Wow. That got me into a $40,000 house. Um, I, you know, refinanced, cash out. That was it. Even gotcha. I didn't even have to, it was so much equity. I didn't even have to rehab the property. Mm. Like it just started accumulating equity. So in this business also, you have to be, I always say a visionary. You have to know what's driving the market, what dollars are coming in. And this just so happened, they won a Super Bowl. So I got lucky. <laughs> Even with Detroit, what's happening in Detroit now? Now you got billions of dollars being dumped in jobs being created. So now the values are going to finally start rising. So I hope you got a oh, yeah. properties. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll tell you a little bit about the numbers on my deal. My first one there, um, I actually found the property on hubzoo.com, which is okay. uh, online. Um, auction place, mm-hmm. right? So the property was a bank owned, it was an REO and um, it was an auction. So I just, I was bidding on properties, you know, just to kind of see what I could get into. And I remember I was in DC at the time when I won the bid. So I won the bid for, I think my first bid was like, this was, this was also 2019. So I won the bid for like, I won it for like 18,000. The first bid was like 14. By the time the bid closed, it was like 18,000 that I won it for. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just won my first real estate property. Like, what am I going to do? I'm in Detroit at a conference and um, one of my lawyer friends were there. So I'm like, girl, what does this mean? What is a warranty deed? (laughs) What kind of risk am I looking at? What's going to happen if X, Y, and Z? And, you know, so we set up a real call so that, you know, she kind of ran down to me a little bit right at the conference, but we actually set up a call. I sent her, you know, all the details about the deed and everything. So she let me know like, okay, well, if anything comes up, you have the title company that's in place and any, you know, anything, any encumbrances on the title, will go back to them because you have the insurance, whatever. So cool. Got the, uh, uh, acquired the property for 18 K. Um, like I said, I didn't know anybody, never been to Detroit, don't know what side of town is on, never seen the property. Um, Mm -hmm. but I just so happened to win a ticket to Forbes conference that was in Detroit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be closing on this property soon. Let like, this is God telling me this is my time to go to Detroit. Absolutely. So went to Detroit, ended up actually closing on my property one of the days that I was there, it was just a digital closing. I just signed, you know, signed everything while I was there. Um, but I had to get, um, I had to get insurance. I had to get insurance on the property and it wouldn't let me close until I had the insurance. And I'm thank God I was there because while I was at the conference, I'm calling all these insurance agents, couldn't get anybody on the phone. So I said, you know what, I'm getting a cab. I'm gonna find an insurance company, buy the property. I went, stopped in an insurance spot, got my insurance and went and drove Uber by my property. (laughs) Awesome. Oh, wow. Now tell us about, was it, did you have to do a rehab? Was it moving ready? Okay. Yeah. So I did, you know, so they they said, uh, I pulled up to the property. Now the property next door to it needed a roof. It had tarp on top. It looked Mm. like it was about to fall down. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. if you know anything about Detroit, um, a lot, there are a lot of squatters there. Right. Um, so it looked like somebody was living in the house. And so when when I pulled up, I got out, I didn't go inside. I just wanted to kind of walk around, see it, make sure it wasn't burned down. You know, I could have been looking at old property, old tax properties on the house. So, I mean, tax pictures on the house. So I just walked around. Um, but the, the, I think that the there was a guy in this abandoned house next door. I think he was the one that was probably squatting in my house. Right. So because when I look in the window, I could see a bed, I could see clothes, like somebody was living in there. Oh. But 
the mortgage company, the bank told me that it was unoccupied, right? And right. They, 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 don't they don't know. Um, but they were going to deliver it vacant anyway. So, right. you know, they were going to go in. So what they eventually ended up doing was they sent the team to go in there and clean it out. Good. Okay. So I found um, while I was there, you know, I, I was looking for people to, help, you know, now start building my real estate team. So I found a couple contractors. Um, I actually came when I came back to Georgia. Um, I actually met a woman who recommended me to somebody in Detroit who I ended up uh, going with. Yeah, he was a very reputable guy. He gave me the highest off, you know, the highest bid for the project. Um, mm-hmm. But I just felt most comfortable with him because he was like really professional. And I, I really felt like he wouldn't just run off with my money. Yes. <laughs> so apparently you have to be really careful, you know, mm-hmm. don't go my route of real estate investing. <laughs> very very risky no you I mean I feel like in your situation you had to go with that referral like you one had to use discernment and let me tell you I'm going to do a whole podcast by myself on my real estate contract to hers okay oh gosh I, I okay and I'm a G I'm also a general contractor and it's so still hers it's still hers okay because <laughs> so, you don't know how to do everything you just have the license like with me I just do the, I have the license I still have to hire plumbers you sub it all hire, out girl that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast a whole right nother and then so you can't you know, even go with the lowest all the time you have to go with reputation yep you gotta pray on it it's a lot of things that go into my hearing listen the energy Okay. I need to talk to you because I need to feel your energy. And if, if, if I'm not, if I'm not feeling it, we can't do business together. And while that might not be the best way to do business, it has worked for me. And I feel like it's just the discernment that God's given me to use. Yes. Um, but yeah, he was the most expensive and girl, it wasn't a lot. So I paid 18 for the property ended up, um, I think he, he gave me like $18,000 estimate ended up being around like 22. So I'm in 40 for the property and it rents for nine fifty a month. That was good. Girl. Bye. That was good. That's, okay. that's like the Kansas city deal. Basically there yeah. It was, yeah, that was good. And okay. honestly, so nowadays you can get 1350 a month for a three bedroom in Detroit. Yeah, the rent so, has gone up, I heard. I could be renting that property right now for $13.50, but, you know, I really wanted to rent to a single mom. I, I, I want to provide nice, safe housing. So I, we, we went and we did it nice. You know, it's all white and granite and all that kind of stuff right. and white and grays, you know. So we did it really nicely um, because I know growing up, my mom worked really hard to provide nice housing for us, right? Like I right. said, I grew up in a project, so it's definitely in my heart to provide some nice, safe, clean housing for um, a single mother who out there doing all that she can for her family. That's awesome. And I, I have that same, same, same idea and, or notion. Um, I'm also a realtor. So a lot of, of the clients that I had, they were coming out of shelters. And I was always, to this day, people still like literally today called me, do you have any apartments? I was always known to make sure they were getting apartments that were still luxury, but affordable. So right. as I continue to do investing and now development, that's my goal to make sure I'm offering affordable luxury. Um, so I don't care if it looked like a war zone outside, the inside of their house needs to look like. Sanctuary. Yeah, that's your piece. So I agree yeah. with that. Um, and I don't know if that particular client was getting section eight or not. Um, I'm going to assume she wasn't, right? My client, no. No, she's not. She doesn't get section eight. She's a nurse. Um, she has three children. Awesome. And awesome. Uh, she, she's paid through the whole pandemic. Haven't had that any issues. Glory to God. I was just about to ask you that next. And I think it's important for us to keep it affordable. I know we want to line our pockets. We know what the market rent is. Um, do that with the next tenant maybe, but keep it. I'm not telling you what to do, but I think it's fair. She, wants, she actually wants to buy the house. And my property manager is, is like, no, we don't sell houses around here. <laughs> right. But you know what? Um, at least her mindset is in the ownership. In the right place. Yeah. Right. So maybe you could do and her so next here's flip, the right? thing. I, I have considered, um, I've considered seller financing, right? And Mm so I'll tell your audience a little bit about how that works is that um, essentially I could become the bank, right? So after two years, 
her money will have paid for the house. Okay. Um, I, I'm considering a, a pay for the money that I've invested in the house, right? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I could probably, I could cash out, refi the property today. So I'm all in 40. I could probably uh, refinance. Um, I mean, it's probably worth about 80,000, you know, so it's not okay. a whole lot, but right. I can pull out 60,000 cash today if I wanted to. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's just there. Having, having, having too much cash on hand makes me work harder because now I got to find somewhere mm-hmm. else to put it. Put it. <laughs> exactly so yeah. but i am i am working on on some other deals so we'll kind of I'll, I'll share a little bit about that um Ooh. but um oh yeah seller financing so essentially what i have been considering and i don't i don't think i am my my, my um my property manager she's like well if you're gonna sell it girl you could just sell it to me i'm like <laughs> no. i was thinking maybe you can even find her another property and rehab that for her right right and- and get the market or, value or my property house. manager can but you know right she just, she just i don't know my thing is she's I'm gonna not be greedy. x'd out i'm not she's gonna be exactly out. then she's gonna be x'd out so she wants to own all the properties i'm mm-hmm. not greedy you know i want to help people with their goals right that's what's in my heart and that's why god right. continues to bless me so with the seller financing i've considered offering her you know hey give me ten thousand down and then pay me eleven hundred a month for five years. So eleven hundred a month, or even a thousand dollars a month, will be twelve thousand a year. And right. then you multiply that times five years. That's fifty thousand or sixty thousand, whatever you want to do. You could do a ten year, right? right? right. So I could, I could say give me uh, twelve thousand dollars a year for ten years. That's one hundred and twenty thousand that she'll pay me plus the ten thousand dollar deposit. But right. in the meantime, it takes all the risk off my plate. So I'll essentially become the bank and any kind of re- repairs or anything like that, yes. she would now be responsible for um, because she's the new owner of the property. Right. So I'm let me ask you, right. What are your real estate goals? What do you see? Yourself? So my, I, my, my real estate goals are hundred doors. So I okay. want to own a hundred doors. Um, and honestly, I feel like I could do it in the next like three to five years, probably mm-hmm. even shorter than that. Right. Uh, but my next project that I'm working on is uh, development. So I, I, I'm working on getting my GC right now. Um, and before I actually just had an offer accepted for a single family here in Atlanta that nice. I'm going to, yeah, I'm excited about it. So I'll give you the numbers on that one too in a second. Um, but I've been looking at land. So I've been buying land. So I just that? won. I just won two different auctions uh, for some uh, for some land. So mm-hmm. I won 18 acres here in nice. uh, west of Atlanta, a, a, a city west of Atlanta. Um, it's 18 acres, but it's only six lots. So we will build okay. six single family homes on it. Okay. Um, but they're they're going to be beautiful. Like the houses there are like 4,000 plus square feet. You beautiful. know, beautiful, beautiful area. Um, 600,000 and up type of neighborhood. Right. Um, thinking about keeping one for myself. <laughs> right. You, you is only right. <laughs> right. Um, so getting into development in that way, also looking at another project where it was only like five acres, but we could put in 30 townhouses. Awesome. So that's another deal uh, that we're working on. We're waiting on um, city hall approvals and all of that in another city west of Atlanta, northwest of Atlanta. Um, and yeah, so the deal that I actually, that I'm like in the middle of, I thought I was going to flip it, but the numbers mm-hmm. are just too good to let it go. Right. Hey, <laughs> like no, literally you have to look at it like that. Like, no, I can make more money on the back end by just keeping it. Um, what I will say about development, because um, I know you said you wanted to get your GC license. I would, I would just outsource the whole thing either to no not if you want to stay pretty and young with good skin no well (laughs) i mean look at you i'm girl you don't see the bags no you don't see these bags can you imagine that working with 250 clients a year is stressful okay god bless you god bless you he'll give us the grade so my i'm so in kansas city i'm working on 140 townhouses um, as a joint venture with a builder by God's grace. 
I don't have to, I don't have to worry about that part. Um, now, does he manage the financing or do you? Are you no, I'll it? be managing the finances. Okay. Um, and I will have control over, he's going to be basically lining up the subcontractors, but I do have a say-so on how it's going to be built. Um, to be honest, I'm planning on making him, well, he already knows this. Um, if we can do all modular, that's that's the way I want to go. Okay. And for those dope. who don't, yeah, because it's, it's literally automation. It's automation. You know that you pay them this amount of money. They're, they're projected to get this amount of houses done. They come and deliver the house. You get a set team, put it together. That's it. <laughs> well, yeah. for the most part, that's it, right? Yeah. Some modular companies, you do have to go in and hire someone to probably finish the kitchen and bathrooms. If that easy work, um, right? Easy stuff that I can literally do myself, even right. though I wasn't doing it. Um, but it's, I've just seen too much craziness. Um, so yeah. Thank you for listening to the Journey to Developer podcast with Deontay Chantel and her special guest. Listen, we want you to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform and give us a five-star review. That would be incredible. To follow Deontay on Instagram, just hit up Deontay Chantel. That's D-I-O-N-T-E-C-H-A-N-T-E-L and also on IG at Journey to Develop Her. That's Journey to develop her. You can hit all the links in her bio with that. Stay locked in, keep developing, and we'll see you here next time.